With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparosa. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your Friday host. Joe Caparoso, owner of Turn on the Jets. As you know, on Thursdays, we've been cranking with draft season on this feed, which is not going to stop anytime soon. Today, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion moderated by our Play Like a Jet host, Scott Mason. It's going to feature two of our writers for the site, Steven Zance, who's been on the show a few times, and our newest addition, Will Parkinson. We are going to talk about the unfortunate reality of the Jets having the second pick and what their options are for the quarterback position if they do not pick first, which is the likelihood now, although it is not clinched before we get into this discussion. I was hoping we didn't have to have before Christmas. Uh, Reminder to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, and to check out our ad-free podcast on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Badlands T-O-J. That's hosted by myself and Connor Rogers with new episodes every Wednesday morning, articles, live streams, and plenty more. All right, Scott, you are the daily host extraordinaire. Frame up the situation and sort of the, the sides of the debate that are shaking out, coming out of the reality that there's a 70 to 75% chance the Jets are going to pick second instead of pick first. So where the Jets are at right now, where I think fans and everybody's going to be at for the next couple of weeks and months is do the Jets take a quarterback at number two or do they stick with Sam Darnold and draft somebody else like, say, Penny Sewell at number two? Maybe they can get a quarterback later or maybe they go the Chicago Bears route where they hope for one last shot to turn Sam Darnold around the way that the Bears have done with Trubisky. Bring in a veteran that they like. In the case of Chicago, it was Foles. So whoever that ends up being. Marcus Mariota is under contract for another year to the Raiders. But maybe the Jets trade a late round pick for him. Because the Raiders are up against the cap. And they may not be able to afford $11 million for a backup quarterback. So perhaps something like that happens. And then you see a competition in camp. It's going to be one of those situations where it all depends on how Joe Douglas and whoever the new coach is feel about Sam Darnold. If they believe that Darnold can be turned around and they don't love the quarterbacks in this draft, aside from Trevor Lawrence, assuming that the Jets end up picking second, then they will hang on to Sam Darnold and they'll try to rebuild him. If that's not the case and they believe that Darnold can't be fixed or that it's going to take way too much work, and they like one of the quarterbacks in this draft, then I think it may go in that direction. It's also possible that they have two or three of these quarterbacks that they like somewhere in the same range, and maybe they trade down a little bit. So I think that's where this is at right now. And so we get to a point where everybody has to debate 
where they think the Jets should go next. So, Stephen, early thoughts. Obviously, a lot can change because we're going to see movement up and down the draft board. We're going to figure out who the Jets head coach is going to be. A lot of variables to be determined. But what do you think here right now, if I were to ask you, what's your initial thought on what the Jets should do at the quarterback position? Well, to be frank, all options have to be on the table. I think that you have to just evaluate the quarterbacks that will be available to the Jets at two and maybe hopefully one if we can somehow get the Jaguars to win just to see how they stack up against Darnold in terms of strengths and weaknesses. I also think, like you mentioned before, the coach that we bring in should have a huge say on what how this team approaches it going forward. But I personally think you just have to most likely move on from Darnold. I just don't think you can justify – you know, bring him back again and then potentially deciding on that fifth year because you don't want to tie 20 plus million dollars to him if you're still unsure two years from now. I mean, I'm not really sure where I stand on all the quarterbacks after Lawrence, but I'm intrigued by Wilson. I'm intrigued by Fields. I don't know that much about Trey Lance, but, you know, I know a lot of people in the draft community are high on him, especially because of his arm talent and athletic ability. But I think you might have to lean towards going in a different direction. Will, I know that you were a huge Sam Darnold guy going into the season, and he's somebody that you would like to see stay here, but have your feelings changed at all over the last 14 games here? Do you think that they should try to rebuild Sam Darnold, or are you in the camp of start fresh, hopefully Darnold succeeds somewhere else because it's just not going to happen for him here, and get a new quarterback on a rookie deal and go forward that way? Yeah, so for me, um, you know, I kind of have two schools of thought. Um, you know, one, I can definitely acknowledge this year has been incredibly disappointing. Um, you know, from Sam's perspective, I feel like a lot of things he did really well year one and he made incremental improvements in year two kind of all fell to the wayside this year, whether it's in the confidence, decision-making, just some of the simple things he did really well at USC and then year one, year two, he, he just has not been doing at a consistent level this year. Um, so the, the re the call for concern there, um, you know, makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I kind of lean slightly more towards, um, trying to be able to, obviously this is granted, you know, the, co- uh, the are they get an elite level coach, um, that would be willing to kind of buy into Sam. Um, you know, I would prefer to hang on to Sam at that eight, $9 million range next year. And then, you know, either exercise his fifth year option or let him play out year four and tag him. Um, if he plays well, and then either be able to accumulate picks from trading back, you know, with somebody like Carolina, Atlanta, San Francisco, um, or staying at two and either drafting a weapon like Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, or taking Penny Sewell and either playing him early in his career at guard um, next to Beckton or flipping him out to right tackle and then just being able to go out in the offseason and, um, you know, build around him with weapons and hopefully a new coach comes in, they will let him take deeper shots down the field and you see the offense kind of explode. Um, similar to the way you've seen a couple other guys, um, you know, kind of explode with the new head coach. But, um, you know, that's kind of where I stand right now. A lot can change if, you know, Wilson blows away the draft process, Fields plays great against Clemson, and um, then goes and wins the national championship. It's definitely something I would reconsider and, you know, kind of go another deep dive into that. But as it stands right now, I'd, like, I'd prefer to hang on to Sam at a really reasonable number next year and, and potentially year five. Um, if it's going to get us an elite coach and a great roster we can build around. 
Joe, I know that you're on team move on from Sam Darnold, which is especially frustrating because I remember how excited the two of us were when the Jets got him in 2018. So just three years later, for you to have invested all this energy in Sam Darnold and then want to move on and recognize from your standpoint that that's what needs to happen has to be difficult. What do you think they should do, though, if they do move on? How do you think they should handle it? Yeah, it's look, I, I get fans' attachment to Darnold. I was right there with everybody else in 2018 being really excited about the pick, although he was not the guy most of us were prepared for them to take because it seemed to be conventional wisdom he was going to go first. So it was a lot of Baker or Rosen discussion. Ends up being Darnold. I think after 2018, it was more than reasonable to feel pretty good about what he had done as a rookie finished the year relatively strong. Although I do think in hindsight, we may exaggerate a little bit, just how strong, but you saw in the green Bay and Houston game, um, some very exciting and encouraging stuff. I think last year he had a very nice stretch in the middle of the season against some bad teams, which look, you, you play was on the schedule. You don't hold that against him. I think there were some concerning signs down the stretch that kind of got swept under the rug because the jets won three of their last five, but they won them, in a fashion that was not dependent on their offense. They b- beat the Bills backups 13-6. They beat Duck Hodges, I think it was 16-9 or 16-13 or something like that. These were games where the Jets did something we've seen a lot. They scored a touchdown on the first possession of the game and then kind of shut down the rest of the game. And Darnold was okay in those games, certainly not great. My hope for this year, my expectation for this year was that Darnold would be slightly better than he was in 2019. I didn't think he was going to be much better because of Adam Gase and because of the roster around him, but I thought he could be lateral to slightly better. And if he did that, I figured the Jets would be a five or six win team and nowhere near a discussion for Trevor Lawrence or even any of the other top quarterbacks in the draft. The only way I thought the Jets could be near picking first was if Darnold regressed or got hurt. And he's kind of done both. And I, I do think the durability is something that probably doesn't get brought up enough. He's missed 10 starts in three years. He can't play a full 16 games. That's problematic because the Jets are 0-10 with their backup quarterback. So I think I understand the attachment when you think a guy's going to be your franchise quarterback. I think the statistics are very hard to ignore, even with the context of Adam Gase. Um because being 38th, 39th, and 40th in all these categories um, is tough to ignore. So I think what you need to do, and I don't think we're going to get a clear answer on this for a bit if they end up picking second, is you need to trade Darnold probably for roughly the Josh Rosen package, which gets you another second-round pick and another later-round pick. And then you take the top quarterback on your board besides Trevor Lawrence. That allows you to reset with the rookie contract and gives Joe Darn- uh, sorry, Joe Douglas – his own guy to build with because if he passes on a quarterback and Darnold struggles next year, he's going to get fired the year after. And that's a big risk to take for a new, a relatively new GM at this point. Steven, what do you think has gone wrong with Sam Darnold? Is this all Adam Gase's fault? Is it because of the roster construction? Is it that maybe Darnold's just not as good as we thought he was going to be in the first place? Is it a combination of all of these things? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of them. I think what you're noticing this year a lot is that Darnold is just holding onto the ball a little too long. I know we've always been clamoring that the offensive line is not great, but there's been plenty of times this year where we've seen him have a clean pocket and he's just not making the right read. You know, he's missing open guys, especially on the deep ball, even though we know Gase doesn't like taking deep shots down the field. I just think that he's not processing the game and allowing it to slow down the way we've seen Josh Allen, who – you know, a lot of the TOJ family is was very anti-against. 
but I think that it's just a combination of coaching, you know, maybe lack of confidence. He also is probably playing injured based on all the, you know, reports that we've heard, but I still think that if he was really the guy, we would be seeing a lot better performances rather than him struggling to clear the 200-yard benchmark in the modern NFL. What do you think, Will? You played, so you know this pretty well. When you get inside your own head, it's usually not just because of something that you did. It's because of your surroundings. So how much of this do you think is on Darnold and how much of this is on the Jets organization? Yeah, so, you know, getting getting in your own head is definitely, you know, something I definitely went through as a player and, um, you know, it happens to everybody, at, you know, some time or another and, um, you know, whether it's receivers dropping balls or, you know, linemen just always overthinking things. So, um, you know, I would say percentage-wise, kind of the blame pie for lack of a better term, I'd say probably I'd put maybe 25, 30% of the blame this year on Sam. I'd probably put another 50 on Gase and then, um, the rest on the surrounding talent. I think that's something that is kind of a bad combination for what's going on with the Jets that whether no matter Flacco, Darnold, whoever you put in there, you put Mahomes in there, is that defenses don't feel threatened in any way, shape, or form. A little bit less with Mims in the lineup. You've seen the offense look a little bit better, but generally they don't feel like Crowder's going to beat them for anything less than a five, six-yard, um, you know, uh, route. And then you've got people like Perryman who kind of feels like a one-trick pony. So – they don't feel threatened. So they've, you know, Sam's going to get blitzed at a much higher rate than, um, you know, most quarterbacks and where you're going to force him to second guess, overthink things. And then he's going to try to almost play hero ball. And I feel like he's great at it at times, but sometimes he'll get himself in a situation where it's like, he's trying to force a play because he's trying to show everyone he's the guy. And then it's like, you're, you're making decisions you shouldn't be making. Um, you know, like when he's got a clean pocket this year, you know, 78.3%, he's fourth in the league. But a lot of those throws are, I don't want to take the deep shot I'm taking. I'm going to take Crowder on a five-yard five drive right over the middle. Or I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be sure of myself. And I feel like that's a lot of confidence. And, you know, maybe I'm going to rationalize it because I want to, you know, I want to see Sam succeed here, which I think we all have, you know, had that point. Maybe I'm coming to it at a little bit of a different rate. But um, I just, I see, you know, a lot of Gase and kind of having his, you know, arms on his shoulders and holding him back on a lot of things where I think Sam would probably take more deep shots or want to get out on the move and, uh, you know, roll out or, um, you know, a lot of play action stuff that just doesn't seem to work because I just don't think defenses feel threatened by either our, the Jets' talent, but also just I don't think Adam Gase is going to, you know, ever do anything risky. So um, I think it's obviously a mix, but, you know, I, I'd like to see Sam have played better. Obviously, um, I think there's still a lot there. He's still you'll see flashes. You'll see two or three throws a game that concern you. And then you'll see two to three plays. You're like, wow, I can't believe like we're not, you know, in a better spot because of how much talent's there. So I think there's a lot of things that go in there. And I'm sure Joe and Steven, you can talk about it more. But I think there's a lot there's a lot there to be you know, hopeful about. But there's also a lot to be concerned about, you know, from the jet structure and from Sam personally. Joe, I think Will just hit on something that has been very troubling for a lot of Jets fans, and people have been grappling with this. It's the fact that you'll see Darnold make these flash plays, like that throw to Braxton Berrios against the Denver Broncos, and you look at that and you say, wow, look at the talent this kid has. So few quarterbacks could make a throw like that, but then you see the stupid mistakes and you see him missing open receivers and all the things that we've gone over ad nauseum. And you start to think to yourself, are these flashes ever going to become more than just flashes? Because if they're going to be just flashes, 
then Sam Darnold is just going to be a bad quarterback who occasionally flashes. The question is, can he overcome what's happened these first three seasons and move beyond that? Do you think that where he's at right now is A, mostly the organization's fault, and B, something that the organization can overcome? It's a mix of factors. I mean, the organization has certainly failed him. I do think that he has regressed with certain mechanical and footwork things that were problems for him at USC, uh, particularly in his final year there, um, where he took a bit of a step back after the year before that, you know, had him seemed as like a surefire lock for the number one overall pick. Uh, I think he made some progress as a rookie. He wasn't fumbling the ball. He was driving the ball forward more accurately. And we've seen some regression there. The organization, again, certainly made it hard on him with how they game plan, how they don't get him outside of the pocket, uh, the lack of supporting talent around the roster. Although I do think the offensive line has made some nice strides this year. Probably one of the more under talked about things about the team is that he really isn't under an insane amount of pressure all the time, at least compared to 2019. I think the problem is, is that yes, I think he can and will be better in a better situation that isn't necessarily saying much though, because most quarterbacks will be better in a better situation. The question is just how much better. If it takes a perfect situation for Sam Darnold to be a middle of the road quarterback, then you need to keep looking for your quarterback because a lot of guys could be a middle of the road quarterback in a perfect situation. And I think we all talk about the Tannehill example a lot. And it's a fair thing to point to with Gates because of how much he impacts player development in the wrong way. I do think it's easy to forget because we used to, you know, rip on Tannehill as Jet fans. In Tannehill's third year, he threw for 27 touchdowns under Joe Philbin, who's not a great coach by any stretch of the imagination. He didn't throw for six touchdowns. And Baker, while he took a step back under Freddie Kitchens, threw for 27 touchdowns as a rookie under under Freddie Kitchens as his offensive coordinator and Hugh Jackson as his head coach. So these guys that have made these improvements did have, we're starting from a higher level of production. You know, Darnold still hasn't had that. I started for 16 games. I threw for almost 30 touchdown type season. His best year was 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and 13 starts. So, look, do I think I think he'll get traded? I think a few years down the road in the right situation, he can be a quality starter. I don't think that's a guarantee. I don't think he's going to be a superstar somewhere else. I think he could be a half a level below what Tannehill is right now. If he ends up in a situation as good as Tannehill, which is really a perfect situation with Derrick Henry and AJ Brown and Corey Davis coming on and a good offensive coach and Arthur Smith. But that's the matter. It's a matter of landing in the right situation. Um, And we just don't know if that's going to happen. And for the jets, again, you're Joe Douglas, you're picking second and you don't take a quarterback in a class that's considered to be loaded with quarterbacks and Zach Wilson turns into a star on the Panthers and Justin Fields turns into a star on, I don't know, the Cowboys or wherever the hell he ends up getting drafted. And Sam Darnold throws 19 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Joe Douglas is going to get fired. And that's a risky thing to take um, because you don't know when you're going to be picking that high again. And Jet fans, I think, seem to forget that Fields and Lance and Wilson are, are highly rated prospects. I know they're not Trevor Lawrence, but they're not trash prospects either. You know, Justin Fields threw 50 touchdowns and three interceptions two years ago, and I know he was bad against Northwestern. Uh, Let's see how he finishes out, you know, against Clemson when Ohio State has some players back before we act like he's Dwayne Haskins just because Dwayne Haskins is the last Ohio State quarterback 
to come out. And Dwayne Haskins, who's not good, just threw for 300 yards against Seattle's defense. Sam Darnold threw for 120 yards against the Seattle's defense. So, look, I think Darnold will get better when he gets away from Gase. I think it's going to take some time, though. I don't think there's going to be some magical light switch if Arthur Smith or Brian Dable comes in here next year and all of a sudden he's going to throw for 38 touchdowns right away. It's going to take time and um, having it shake out in the right way. So we'll see how it you know plays out. You mentioned Arthur Smith and Brian Dable, and so, Stephen, I wanted to get your take on where the Jets should go with the next head coach because that's going to be an important component of, A, who they decide to bring in here or keep at quarterback, and, B, how the quarterback develops. Now, I've been very vocal on Play Like a Jet and obviously on Twitter in the fact that I don't particularly care how good of a coordinator you are If you're going to come in here and be the head coach, I want somebody that has proven that they can be the CEO, the program builder. So everyone knows where my sympathies lie here. I don't think that hiring a guy because he's shown you that he can be a successful schemer or an offensive coordinator is a great idea because a lot of those skills don't translate. There is about 12 things that you need to be really good at to be a successful head coach. And that's why so few coordinators actually succeed at being a head coach. But that's my take on it. There are some people that would look at what happened to Sam Darnold and say they have to get somebody who can do a good job with a quarterback. Somebody like Dable who built Josh Allen from what he was at Wyoming. Somebody like Arthur Smith, who took Ryan Tannehill, who was a solid but unremarkable quarterback in Miami, and turned him into a legitimate pro bowler in Tennessee. That that's of the utmost importance after watching what's happened to Sam Darnold for the last three years. Where do you sit on this whole discussion? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think we need to take the CEO approach. I don't, I don't necessarily think that just because you can call plays means you could be a good head coach. There's plenty of failed head coaches who are great play callers. Look at, you know, Pat Shermer was great in Minnesota, could not be a head coach in New York for the Giants. And it seems like he's doing okay work with Drew Locke in Denver. I wouldn't say he's lighting up the world. But yeah, I just think that someone like Matt Campbell, who I know you really like, and a lot of the Jet fans are really on board with, is someone we really have to take a strong look at. I think Gate, uh, excuse me, Douglas is going to cast a wide net of candidates. It's going to be in the college ranks, definitely the coordinators, most likely some retreads like a Caldwell or Marvin Lewis. But I think ultimately it comes down to leadership. It seems like there's a huge lack of leadership within the organization right now, and it doesn't really take any anyone smart to realize that uh, Adam Gates doesn't know how to be a leader. He doesn't seem like he interacts with players on the sideline. It doesn't seem like he's ever holding anyone accountable and he's just blaming everyone. I, I just think that we really need someone who is going to steer the ship the right direction, have a program in place, and build this from the bottom up. We can't really sink any lower than we have in the last you know 12 months. I like Matt Campbell. I really like Arthur Smith as well. And it's not necessarily just because of his ability to call plays. I think that if you look at his background, he grew up in a very wealthy family and he started at the bottom at the NFL level. I think that's something that you really got to take for, you got to take that into consideration. Someone who could have, you know, had the easy way out in their life being, you know, the son of the head of Phoenix, but he really grinded his way all the way to become an offensive coordinator, a really good one. Uh, But yeah, I think those are the two guys I really like the most. I don't really think Cowher's realistic. And especially now that we're in, you know, number two instead of number one, but I think that, you know, Matt Campbell and Arthur Smith are great guys. And even a B enemy, even though people always say he has Patrick Mahomes, it's easy for him to look good. But it's definitely a leadership thing with the enemy because it seems like he has a lot of respect in the Kansas City locker room. And, you know, Andrew Reid constantly raves about how great he is. 
Will, what do you think on this? When you look at the available candidates, do you lean more towards the CEO type, maybe the John Harbaugh? Or do you think that stopping Sam Darnold part two from happening, stopping the Jets from getting another quarterback or even keeping Darnold and him continuing not to progress is the more important thing and that whatever you do, you've got to get somebody in here who's shown that they can develop a quarterback above all else. Yeah, for me, uh, I mean, I kind of lean um, very similar to you guys in terms of I'd like to see, um, you know, kind of a CEO type coach come in. Um, you know, I'm, I would kind of just to go off Steven's point, I, I would be nervous about kind of going a full retread route with guys like Cower, or Marvin Lewis or Jim Caldwell, only from the aspect of the league's changed a lot, um, you know, in just a few years from when these guys, um, you know, Cower back to 2006, the league's changed a lot and Gruden's been able to be successful, but he came in with uh, a widely young staff as well as, you know, Mayock and guys like that. So I don't know that Gruden's usually the best example if you think about someone like Cower, but, um, you know, I, I love people like Pat Fitzgerald, Matt Campbell, because I think for them, the plethora of picks, cap space, some young guys like Quinn and Marcus May and Becton and Mims would be an attractive option for them. Um, if you're going to go the coordinator route, I really think you have to go with somebody that's going to be, that's got a lot of responsibility. I like the enemy just from the aspect of, I don't know how realistic he is without, um, you know, getting Trevor Lawrence, but um, you know, I've, I've listened to interviews with guys who played for him, even on the defensive side of the ball, Mike DeVito gave an interview um, last week and he was like, everyone in that locker room wanted to play running back so they could work with the enemy. And that to me is somebody that I think can be successful, not from just a play calling perspective, but also Andy Reid's Andy Reed's coaching tree is obviously well-documented as being successful and somebody that's well-respected to me is, is kind of how it's going to have to go. Guys like Nathaniel Hackett, potentially, um, if you're going to, if you're going to actually keep Darnold, I think guys like that are going to be people that you're going to kind of need to invest in. Um, and if you go the CEO route, I'd like to see somebody come in. Um, that's going to be, whether it's Fitzgerald, Campbell, you know, whoever that guy is going to be, they, I'd like to know kind of the staff they're going to come in with. We obviously all went through the, you know, trauma of Matt rule a couple of years ago, wanting to bring his own staff, God forbid. And, um, you know, if you're going to have somebody come in with a great staff, the CEO is, is the way to go. I think because you're now impacting both, you know, both coordinators are going to be able to impact both sides of the ball. And you have somebody that's going to be a true leader, which I think obviously we can talk about for hours, but Adam Gase is obviously, none of the above. So um, I'd like to go, I'd like to go the CEO route. Um, ideally. Um, I just think it all is going to come down to how they're going to want to build this roster. Um, and, you know, I just want to make sure I always would love, I just want to make sure Joe Douglas and this coach are kind of hand in hand and make that decision together because that's going to be the kind of the key to the future of the franchise for the next five, 10, 15 years. Joe, my fear with the Jets going out and getting a quarterback whisperer or an offensive guru because they're afraid of the Sam Darnold thing happening again is that you wind up with another Adam Gase type situation because if you look at the history of who the Jets have hired as head coaches, in fairness, pretty much none of them, at least over the last 40 years, have been any good. But you look at, say, Joe Walton, offensive coordinator, Bruce Coslett, former offensive coordinator before he got the Jets job. You had Rex Ryan, you had Todd Bowles, you had Eric Mangini. These were all guys that were coordinators, had 
hadn't been proven as head coaches, and none of them were able to succeed. The only successful hire that they've had was Bill Parcells, who had proven that he was a top-flight head coach. Of course, the other two guys that the Jets hired who had previous head coaching experience, Adam Gase and Rich Kotite. So that route hasn't seemed to really work for them either, unless they're going to be able to find a way to coax Bill Cowher out, which I don't think is going to happen, or some crazy thing happens where Sean Payton decides that he doesn't want to stick around in New Orleans if, say, Drew Brees decides to retire Also an incredibly unlikely scenario You're going to have a situation Where you either have to pick between A retread like a Marvin Lewis A successful head coach at the college ranks Like Matt Campbell If he's willing to even take an interview Or an unproven coordinator Like some of the guys we're talking about Biennemi, Smith, Dable So on and so forth This is a very difficult decision Because, and we say this a lot It seems like we say it way too often But it never stops being True. This is going to be an incredibly important hire, and they just can't afford to get it wrong. What should they do? It's tough. There's no, there's no runaway slam dunk candidate. Um, most of us like Campbell the best, but even he's a long shot. He would have been a tough get if they got Lawrence. Never mind if they don't have Lawrence. Um, it's hard. All you could ask them to do is cast a wide net and not do something obviously stupid, which was what they did when they hired Adam Gase. We all knew that was a bad decision. They had no chance of working. So it's a low bar to clear, but let's start with that. And then cast a really wide net between college head coaches, offensive coordinators, former head coaches, let Joe Douglas, Rex Hogan, Chad Alexander, Phil Savage lead the process. Don't let some phone call from Peyton Manning or someone at the last second influence the search. And then you got to see where it shakes out and just build a well-rounded staff that could challenge each other. Unlike what Adam Gase did. He brought in a bunch of yes men from an unsuccessful Miami team, particularly on the offensive side of the football. And that turned into being a predictable disaster. So try to get Fitzgerald for an interview, try to get Campbell for an interview. Um, Any other college guy you're interested, take a swing and see what they say. Uh, And then they're going to do the due diligence on the Baltimore coordinators, on Arthur Smith, on Brian Dable. And we'll see how some of these other roles shake out. Some of the other teams have a bit of a jump on them. I don't know how much of an impact that's going to make. It's probably a middle of the pack job at best without the number one overall pick, because people will say, okay, I have Deshaun Watson with the Houston job. You know, Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford are older, but they are proven commodities at the quarterback position. Whereas I'm, you know, dealing with a question mark more so in New York, more of a question mark at least. So the best you could do again, overturn every rock and don't do something obviously stupid. I don't, I know fans would not be excited by a guy like Marvin Lewis. I think they're probably too hard on that decision. I'm not saying I would be that excited by it, but at that has a chance of working with the right coaching staff. Whereas Adam Gase had no chance of working. You know, if they're going to go for a coordinator, it's, you just got to pick, right. It's, it's impossible to predict which one's going to work. You don't know which coordinator can't translate and which coordinate can't coordinator can you know, there was no Matt LaFleur's worked out great in Green Bay. Todd Bowles didn't work out great here. And there's a million examples in both directions. So no Gase level candidate, you know, don't go hire Bill O'Brien or something like that. Um, cast a wide net and we'll see how it shakes out. It's very hard to say, man. It's, it's a lot cloudier of a prospect with the second pick because we just don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. And we could all make our best guesses, but no one really has any idea uh, which direction they're going to go. 
A long road ahead for the New York Jets, which again is something that I feel like we say all the time. Gentlemen, this has been my pleasure to sort of be the moderator here. For anybody that isn't following any of you guys on Twitter, Joe, everybody knows they can follow you at Jay Caparoso. But Stephen and Will, Stephen, first of all, how can people follow you and get a hold of you? And then we'll go to you, Will, so that you can give out your information so people can start following you if they're not already. Yeah, my uh, Twitter account is SZAN, so it's S-Z-A-N-T-Z, and uh, I'll pass it off to Will. Yeah, mine's uh, Will and then P-A-11, um, so Will Paul 11, you know, hit me with a follow, you'll see some nice Darnold clips, uh, you know, whenever there's a good play every four weeks. <laughs> Make sure that you are subscribing to Badlands with Joe and Connor Rogers, do the weekly ad-free podcast where they have some great guests on and they just chop it up about what's going on with the team plus also you get the exclusive articles from joe and connor and with draft season coming up in the coaching search there's going to be a ton of exclusive content so make sure you subscribe to the patreon right now you can go to joe's twitter at j caparoso or connor's twitter at Connor J. Rogers to get all the information on how you can do that. Also, make sure that you're listening to my podcast, Play Like a Jet, seven days a week of Jets podcasts. I know that's probably why I sound insane all the time. If you're not listening already, you can find it on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all of them. Again, seven days a week. And you can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. Gentlemen, Merry Christmas to you all and to everybody listening to this. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night.